want to point out that I made a mistake in the outline in your um, order of service. Point three should be point two, point two should be point three. Um, I was doing the Baptist thing with, you know, all the P's, you know, peace, power, purpose, and I got them kind of mixed up when I wrote them out. So just be aware of that. Um, also, I wanted to make sure everyone is aware of the arrangements for Don Spradling. Uh, visitation is today from 3 to 8 p.m. at Shilneck Funeral Home in O'Fallon. And then the funeral will be here on Monday at 1 o'clock. And so I know that as we go to a time of prayer again together, we will want to remember um, the Spradling family um, at this time of, of loss um, of, of Don. And so um, join now with me as we pray. Um, Holy Spirit, um, indeed, you are welcome here. In fact, we know apart from your presence, um, we would not understand. Apart from your presence, um, we would not be uh, led to do your bidding. But through your Holy Spirit, we are united as a body in power for our purpose. And today we pray that we would worship in spirit and in truth. And as we come as a body of believers this morning, we do pray corporately. We pray together for those who are faced with significant need, whether it be financial, whether it be spiritual, whether it be emotional, whether it be physical, whatever the need, Holy Spirit, fall, we pray and bring peace to those situations. We do lift up specifically the Spradling family as they mourn the loss of Don, as we, the extended family, mourn the loss of Don. Fall, Holy Spirit, we pray. And now as we come to the time where we open together your word, where we study um, something of what it teaches us, grant to us, I pray, understanding. Apply the principles of your word to us, we ask, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So we began this morning by singing, glorify thy name. Uh, it's the impetus of that song is on how each person of the Trinity deserves our adoration. The Westminster Confession of Faith of 1646 puts it like this. In the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, 
and God the Holy Ghost. Each person of the Godhead is equal, but each person of the Godhead carries out a different function. God the Father authors redemption. God the Son accomplishes redemption. God the Holy Spirit applies redemption. Whereas the Son brings glory to the Father, the Spirit brings glory to the Son. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit paved the way for Jesus' coming as Messiah. In the New Testament, he provided the wisdom of what Jesus' coming as Messiah secured. My purpose this morning is to highlight a few important things that God the Holy Spirit does in and through the lives of those who place their trust in Jesus Christ. To be honest, I think that we do not know nearly enough about the Holy Spirit. Maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit scares us a little bit because there's some mystery surrounding it. Oh, we talk about tongues. Whoa, hold on now. Right? And so there's all kinds of different dynamics as we think about the Holy Spirit. But this morning, I just have time to look at a few. And our jumping off point is Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. We're continuing in our series, 66 books, 66 messages. And so Joel chapter 2, beginning at verse 28. This is the Holy, Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. The stress of the text is on the Lord's promised presence. Twice, God the Father promises to pour out the Spirit. In almost every instance in the Old Testament, when the prophets spoke of Yahweh pouring out, it was in his wrath or his anger. Only in Joel chapter 2 and in Ezekiel chapter 39 verse 29 do we hear of the Lord pouring out his ruah and restoring people to life. So we cannot read Joel chapter 2 without reflecting on Pentecost and the text that we read earlier from Acts chapter 2. 
In fact, Peter would quote this passage from Joel in its entirety. Repentance and reception of Jesus Christ as the resurrected and ascended Savior is what ushers in the promised presence of the Holy Spirit. During the Old Testament period, the Holy Spirit only fell upon select individuals, most often for the anointing of a specific office, prophet, priest, or king. But our text in Joel highlights how the Holy Spirit's presence is going to intensify after Jesus of Nazareth fulfills the promises of God. The Lord says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, not just prophets, not just priests, not just kings, on all flesh. This pouring out of the Spirit is universal, without limitation. It is on all persons, regardless of sex, regardless of age, regardless of race, regardless of class. Peter, in preaching, proclaims the gift of the Spirit is now for all who believe in the person of Jesus Christ. This pouring out of the Holy Spirit has Tremendous ramifications for you if you are a Christian. And so I've chosen to focus on three this morning. First, the promised Holy Spirit provides peace. There was a great Norwegian explorer. His name was Roald Amundsen. He was the first man to discover the South Pole. On one particular expedition, he reached the pinnacle of his journey. It was atop a high mountain, and he set free a homing pigeon. His wife delighted to see that homing pigeon because it provided evidence that her husband was still alive. That, that account somewhat captures the emotion of when the prophecy of Joel chapter 2 is fulfilled. On the day of Pentecost, the promised presence of the Holy Spirit falls on his disciples like fire. And at that moment, I am sure they recalled Jesus' words from John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. In that moment, Jesus' disciples knew that their Savior forever lived and forever reigned at the Father's right hand. They had the peace and the assurance of knowing that they would never be alone. Jesus had meant it when he told them in John 14, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And now the disciples understood it. Now they knew it. Because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul refers to each individual believer in 1 Corinthians 6.19 as the temple of God. Our hearts 
are the place that God has set up residence for his glory to dwell. Let that sink in for just a moment. Our hearts is where God has set up residence for his glory to dwell. It is because of the promised Holy Spirit then that you and I can be at peace with God. The central point behind Joel's prophecy is deliverance. It is to restore God's people and it is to reassure them that they need not to fear the pouring out of God's wrath. In fact, Joel here is making a connection. God calls a people who will call out on him. Jonathan Edwards once said, a love for the glory of God is the one thing that Satan cannot produce in a person. A love for the glory of God is the one thing Satan cannot produce in a person. Only the Holy Spirit can make such a love happen. So listen to me. If you have in your heart a love for Jesus Christ, there's no way that would be there unless God, the Holy Spirit, put it there. And what that means is if you are ever worried, if you ever have doubts, if you're ever lacking security for some reason or another, just ask yourself, is the love of Jesus in my heart? And if the answer is yes, be assured. And when Satan comes and whispers in your ear lie after lie after lie, you say, hush up, Satan. I know I have a love for Jesus and the Holy Spirit has placed it there. It is also because of the promised Holy Spirit that you and I can be at peace with our fellow man. Paul says in Colossians 3, 13 to 15, bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. How do I know that I have forgiven another person when I quit telling others what someone has done to me? How do I know I have forgiven another person when I stop pointing a finger or making another person feel guilty? How do I know I have forgiven when I let someone save face rather than rub his or her nose in it? It is through such a forgiving spirit that we can promote a spirit of love, of unity, of peace. A wise old man was talking to a boy and he told him, there are two wolves fighting inside me. One is filled with anger, hate, jealousy, lies, and doubt. The other 
is filled with grace, love, joy, truth, and peace. The young boy asked, Sir, which wolf will win? The old man said, The one you feed. Which wolf will we feed? Let me tell you, in the absence of fear and in the presence of forgiveness, there is power. And that's my second point today. The promised Holy Spirit provides power. Pastor Tony Evans compares the action of the Holy Spirit to Alka-Seltzer. That seems kind of, you know, maybe random. Alka-Seltzer was designed to remedy an upset stomach. And, you know, you remember the commercial, a person drops the two tablets into water and it causes a fizzy reaction to occur. And then they go, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Right? See, our congregation is old enough to remember that, right? Um, my, my boys have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but when we accept Christ as Savior, God drops the Holy Spirit and it produces a powerful reaction. The promised presence of the Holy Spirit causes us to rest in the eternal love of Jesus. So as to say, oh, what a relief he is. It is the Holy Spirit's presence that provides the source of a relief from sin's grip. It is the Holy Spirit's presence that provides us with the strength to walk in grace. It is the Holy Spirit's presence that gives us the ability to grow in holiness. Jesus indeed meant it when he said in Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But let me say and make clear that the baptism of the Holy Spirit differs from the filling of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at our conversion. It's when we profess faith in Jesus Christ. It is a one-time permanent experience. It cannot be undone. The filling of the Holy Spirit, however, is an ongoing experience to be repeated again and again. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit. In Greek, be filled actually appears in what's called the continual present tense. So more literally, Paul says, keep on being filled. I normally don't have demonstrations. This is an empty boss. Now, if you think about this, how can we get the air out of this vase? The way we get the air out of it is we fill it. I'm probably not going to fill it all the way to the top because I'll spill it. But you get, the, you get the point. I can't get the air out by myself. But when it's filled, ha. Huh, I cannot get the sin out of my own life. 
I need the filling presence of the Holy Spirit. And yet sometimes do we not grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve him when we lose our temper, when we shout from frustration, when we speak unkindly to or about another person, when we hold a grudge and so on. We grieve the Holy Spirit. I told my wife as I was writing this sermon how utterly convicted I was of how often I grieve the Holy Spirit. How convicting the words of Paul are in Ephesians 4, 30 and 31. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now there's good news and there's bad news in that passage. The good news is that we are sealed for the day of redemption. That means if we are baptized in the Spirit, if we love Jesus, if we've committed our life to Jesus, our sins and our poor choices never threaten our standing with God in and through Christ. We are sealed. The bad news is that grieving the Holy Spirit causes us to lose something of our anointing and it causes us to lose our power. How then can we stay filled with the Spirit? One way is to constantly read our Bibles. I've provided a link in the order of service of a way to get involved in a Bible reading regimen. If you fail to get one of those um, printouts, I encourage you to get one this morning. Because the reason for the connection between not grieving the Spirit and staying in the Scripture is so strong is easily explained. The Holy Spirit wrote the Word of God. 2 Peter 1.21, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit who teaches us. He is the Spirit who convicts us. He guides us. He counsels us. He reminds us. And R.T. Kendall explains, when the anointing is on you, you will see things in the Bible you had never seen before. You will feel God near you as you have never felt him. And get this, you will be easier to live with. Another means to stay filled with the Spirit is through prayer. How much time do we spend in prayer? And what and whom are we praying for? Ronnie Carroll of Meba shared with me the link blesseveryhome.com. I put that link also in the order of service today. This Bless Every Home website reveals those who live in and around our immediate vicinity. And it encourages us, it encourages us to pray over each home in our neighborhood. Imagine what would happen, just imagine for a moment, if every single one of us in this church 
knew everyone who lived around us and began to pray for the Holy Spirit to fall. Just what if we prayed for the power of the Spirit to fall? I, I think we might experience fresh fire. Let us not fail to recognize that it is because of the infilling of the Holy Spirit that Jesus tells his disciples in Acts 1, verse 8, what they will have power for to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. And that leads to point number three. The promised Holy Spirit provides our purpose. Joel had proclaimed that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That's us. And what would that prophecy essentially be? It's a foretelling of something. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Come to save. And so there is an emboldening of a vast band going out to proclaim the gospel. That's his church. That's us. Now that process began to unfold with Christ's disciples on the day of Pentecost. It is because of the Holy Spirit's presence that Peter, who had once cowered before the Jewish authorities, would later present Christ boldly before the high priest and other rulers. It is because of the Holy Spirit's presence that Stephen affirms the exalted Christ before an angry mob who would stone him to death. It is because of the Holy Spirit's presence that Saul, a former persecutor of the church, became Paul and immediately began to proclaim Christ in the synagogues. It is because of the Holy Spirit's presence that we, sinners, saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone, can live for the glory of God alone. So while the prophecy of Joel chapter 2 most certainly finds fulfillment on the day of Pentecost, the outworking of that prophecy continues today. It continues through Michelle Bauer. It continues through Jim and Lisa Smallwood. It continues through Rick and Christina Shepherd. It continues through us. I am left then to ask one simple question. Have you received the promised presence of the Holy Spirit? Have you received the promised presence of God, the Holy Spirit? Peter tells us in Acts 2, 38 and 39, repent 
and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Has the Holy Spirit whispered into your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, come to die for your sin, be resurrected in glory, and come again. If that's in your heart, the Holy Spirit has fallen upon you. Now, let us not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let us be filled with his peace and his power and for his purpose. That is what the church is meant to be. Let's pray together. Christ, we worship and adore you because, Holy Spirit, you have called us to be yours. And so, fill us up and glorify your name in all the earth. It is the prayer of your people. And if today someone here needs to make and identify his or her faith known, won't you move today? We pray, Holy Spirit. Amen.